last week, uh, Glenn Clark and I did something on Next Week Today, a feature that we do each week, sort of a point-counterpoint. And this one wasn't so much point-counterpoint as it was asking the question about, in light of the fact that LeBron James was lost again to the Cleveland uh, faithful, the basketball faithful, who was the one player that we kind of never got over uh, losing on our team? And for me, the answer was pretty simple, and he joins us right now. He is the uh, former left-handed slugging first baseman of the Baltimore Orioles. That's Jim Gentile. How are you, Diamond? I'm fine, Stan. How are you, buddy? Good. How are things in uh, in and around Oklahoma City these days? Oh, it's beautiful. It's 94 degrees today. Oh, God. Hey, i got to ask you, did you end your career in Oklahoma City? Is that how you got there? <laughs> no. No, I um, ended my career uh, in uh, San Diego. I went out there as a player coach. Okay. 66, I mean, 67, 68. And, uh, but before, just before I went out to San Diego, I was playing with Houston. And I, coming out of Chicago, I happened to bump into a beautiful hostess on Braniff Airlines and <laughs> we started talking and uh, well she's from Oklahoma and we have now been married 50 years. Wow. Is she still beautiful and is she still with Braniff Airlines? No, no, no. She's <laughs> retired. She's I'm enjoying kidding. life now. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't think Braniff Airlines has been around <laughs> no, since the mid 70s. Back then they wore the uniforms and yep. the boots and Yeah. Really something. Yeah. Well, you must have been a pretty handsome couple because I, one of the things that, that me, I had lost my dad in 1958. And, you know, a young kid at that age of six years old, you're looking for father figures. And you were this dashing, handsome, slugging first baseman. You became kind of a father figure to me um, oh. here in Baltimore. Um, you pl- You played a long time. You got stuck before free agency and the um, reserve clause and all that stuff. You got stuck with the Brooklyn Dodgers for an awfully long time, didn't you? Yeah, seven years. And that was because Gil Hodges had first base kind of on lockdown, didn't he, in Brooklyn? Right. I, I signed out of high school in San Francisco 1952, and uh, they told me, well, it would take you about four years. It usually takes four years to get a shot in the big leagues. Because, you know, remember back then we had D, C, B, A, double A, triple A. Yeah. And uh, so it was fine. Well, they started me off in A ball, uh, but told me I'd only be there 29 days, and then they'd ship me down to, like, Class C. Well, I stayed there all year, led the league in home runs, and hit 270 and drove in 100 runs. The next year I started in Mobile, and I was leading the league in home runs. After 20-some-odd games, but then when the cut-downs came, uh, Wozniak, the manager, said, well, I- I'm going I'm to take Norm Larker back, so you got to go back to Pueblo. So I spent two and A, two and double A, and three and triple A before I got a shot. Now, your shot, I see that you played briefly with Brooklyn in 1957, and then you got 34 at-bats and 58 with the Dodgers. Were those call-ups due to injury or? Uh, no, end of the season, Stan. End of the season, okay. Yeah, yeah they brought me up in 57, and uh, I was sitting in my, in the, my locker, and P.B. Reese came up and said, hey, Diamond, you're playing today. I said, no, I just finished hitting with the Scrovinis. Right. And he said, no, 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 you're, gonna, you're hitting fifth. We're 
they were playing the Phillies, Robin Roberts. Right. And he was pitching. And uh, when I came up the second time up, I got safe on an air my first time. I came up my second time. It was one-to-one. And uh, 3-2 pitch, I hit the facing the upper deck in Ebbets Field for my first home run. I saw and, that. You got you got one hit. You went one for seven in that first uh, little stint in the major leagues, and the one hit was a, a home run. Do you well, remember that's what who, I mean. I, do you remember I grew who, up there, and all I got was 36 times at bat. Right. And they started, when I went them over to Baltimore at a look-see, they said I was a cast-off. 36 times in bat in seven years? Right. Wait a minute. And I hit <laughs> over 208 home runs in the minors. Do you remember who you hit that first home run off of in the major leagues? Yeah, Robin Roberts. Robin Roberts. Boy, he gave and up. He came, remember he came over to Baltimore? Sure. And somebody had made a, uh, a painting of him, and he gave it to me, and he put down below, he put, so you won't forget who you hit your first home run off of. That's funny, because Robin Roberts was known for giving up a lot of home runs, but like Jim Palmer, a lot of solo home runs. Right. He yeah. didn't walk. He didn't want to walk yet. And that's the thing I remembered. I was three and two was the pitch, and I I stepped out of the box, and I'm thinking, and I remember Snyder and him saying he won't walk if he can help it. So I just said I'm going. I'm looking fastball, come hell or high water. If he throws me a curve, I'll go back to the dugout. <laughs> that's something else. So you know, it's funny. I always I knew you played for the Dodgers organization. I knew you were there a long time. But until today, I haven't really thought about placing you in the context. You played probably in the minor leagues with Roy Campanella, didn't you? Yeah. And I played, uh, well, the one year before, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jackie Robinson, he he retired just as I came up. I went to Japan with the, the Orioles. I mean, pardon me, Brooklyn. Right. We, 56, we went over there. And I led the team in everything. Buzzy Bavese said, the vice president says, now stay in shape. We're going to move Hodges to third right. and g- give you a good shot at first base. That never happened. That never happened. So, no, I'm sure Hodges said, forget it. I'm the best, I'm the first, best base. first baseman around. Yeah, Right. I'm not going over to third base. Right. So <laughs> you know? now, you, now you get traded. You get dealt to the Orioles, right? Uh, yes. And your first manager is Paul Richards? Yes. Uh, what did he tell you the first year there in spring training? Well, I came to spring training, and I came on what you call a look-see, 30 uh-huh. days. Yep. If I didn't do – if Richards didn't like what he saw in spring training or didn't want to take me to Baltimore, he just returned me to to the Dodgers and 25000 So I got there, and there was Walt Dropo, Bobby Boyd, John Powers, Boog Powell, and I over there at first base. Wow. Crowded field. Crowded yeah, field. Yeah, well, I, I, I wasn't wor- – at that time, Boog was only 18, just starting out. Mm-hmm. I figured a couple of years. You knew he, you could tell he was going to be a good for, a good ball player. I mean, you know, back then he was six four five. 5. Yep. He weighed about 210 or 220. Mm. You know, but, I mean, he just – you just had good hands. So I said, well, maybe two, three years. But there was Dropo, who was rookie of the year in, what, 59 or 58? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, John Powers played for Columbus, he was, but he was more of an outfielder. But Bobby Boyd was a fine first baseman yep. and a th- good hitter, but the problem was he didn't drive in any runs. And Richards said he wanted a power hitter. And you were you fit that bill pretty good. Well, I did in that spring training. Everything I was another Dick Stewart, old Iron Hands. Every time you threw me a ball, I dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the last day of spring training, uh, 
do you call it? Uh, Paul it Richards? Like, yeah, I thought I'm not going to make the team, you know. And right. I, I go there, and there's a thing, thing, go see Paul. And I walked in the office to him, and he just looked at me and says, son, you can't be as bad as you look. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I said, well, Paul, I'm not much of a sprint. He said, you've hit 208 home runs down there in the minors. Right. And you can't get one out of the infield here. He said, I'm going to give you, you only got 36 times a bat in almost three years with the Dodgers. I'm going to give you 150 or more the first 27 days. If you hit, you'll stay. If not, I'm sending you back to the Dodgers. That's the best I can do for you. So that 30-day look-see was was not just spring training. It included the first 30 days of the big league season. Right. How how did that that talk with Paul Richards? It seems like it must have somehow taken some pressure off of you. Well, it did because I said to myself, I got twenty seven days or twenty eight, and he told me I was going to play against right handers, and Dropa was going to play against left handers. So you know you had to. Yep. Uh, and I just said to myself, I I knew that once the I don't know what it was when I played spring training. Most of the time, at the beginning of spring training, you face the same guys you p- faced in AAA. Yep. You know, so you weren't really facing the, uh, the Whitey Fords and the Jim Bunnings. You were facing other the same guys you faced before. So I just couldn't get myself mentally prepared for it because it's the same guys. But then once the bell rang, uh, now I'm going to face the good guys, you know, Romero, you know, uh, Pasquale and all those guys. And... Uh, I just started to hit. I was everything started to fall into place. Now, not only did you hit in 1960, you showed yourself to be a pretty fancy guy with the glove at first base. One of the things I remember is you could start the three-six-three double play with anybody, and the stretch you had—I've still never seen anybody else stretch the way Jim Gentile stretched. I, a lot of times I watch the games and these guys make the play at first base so close because yep. they, they just stand there and catch it. And the guy might be one, one stride away from first where not that you have to go out and do the splits like I did once in a while, but at least reach out. Yeah. Uh, the, the one first baseman that does it a lot is, is a uh, belt from San Francisco. He at least reaches out for the ball, which gives, you know, it's, him a step and a half to two steps. It's a it's a big difference on all these close plays. You know, it sure no is. question about it. Uh, Jim, the uh, the game I remember most, and I'm guessing it was in '61. No, may, maybe a pinch later. What was the the game in Minnesota? The back to back Grand Slam home runs. Do you remember that? And oh yeah. And who did? Yeah. You, and, and was it back to back innings? Or was it in the same yeah, first inning? and second inning? Okay, yes. who'd you yeah. hit him off of? Who'd you hit him uh, the first one? Uh, Pete Ramos. Okay, I remember and Pedro it, Ramos. Sure. Yeah, and the second one was off Paul Gill, the running back from Minnesota. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And uh, the thing is, is uh, we got to a, a zero and two pitch on on me. Uh, Ramos did, and he threw me a high fastball, and I, I just happened to get up and hit it out over the center field fence. So now the next inning, the same three guys got on because the pitcher made uh, Ramos made an error, and and it brought in Gill, and the very first pitch he threw me, I hit over the right field fence. And those were both at the Metropolitan Stadium yes. there in Minnesota. Yeah. Now I don't know if you know this. This is here's a trivia question. Yeah. In '60, I hit a grand slam off Dick Hall. Okay. And in I hit five in '61. 
the same pitcher was the winning pitcher all six times. You're kidding me. And who no. was who would that have been? Milt? Estrada. Estrada. Chuck Estrada. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Boy, he had some great stuff, didn't he? Oh, boy. we I tell you, it was Steve Barber and him and uh, Jerry Pappas, Walker. Jerry Walker. Jerry Walker. And you had Fat Jack Fisher. Jack I mean, we Fisher. had some good young pitchers. If the Orioles had them today, they might be winning. They, <laughs> I, I think they could come out. Of, the ones that are still alive could come out and pitch better than some of what we've seen. We're talking. Uh, well, the guys are just having one of those years. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, but uh, the thing is, is uh, they don't throw curveballs anymore. Talk. And when they, you, when the when the hitters face a guy that has a pretty good curve, yep. they look terrible. Yeah. You, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. I, you see guys swinging pitches that bounce on the plate because they're looking that good fastball to hit it. Out the, everybody wants to hit the home runs now because the ball's so live. Now, it's interesting you say that because I think tend to think of you as sort of an all-or-nothing hitter, but I went over the numbers this morning. I'm astounded you had an on-base percentage of nearly 370 for your career, including a couple seasons over 400. And your walks to strikeouts over a career, uh, the length of yours, I think you walked, wait a minute, I think you walked 475, bear with me, 415 is the walks, hold on, yep, and 545 strikeouts. That's nothing, I mean, in terms of the differential between strikeouts and walks. I mean, that's a good differential. Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> uh, you know, I just, uh, I did swing kind of hard, but uh, well, but it was you, just one of the. But you, you got to remember, though, stand back when I played. No one, we didn't have hitting coaches. There weren't hitting coaches. We didn't have hitting coaches. All we had was a bullpen coach with with Harry Bikine, right? A first base coach, and maybe a, a third base coach, and that was it. There was nobody there that talked hitting. And all the years I played, I never had anybody talk to me about hitting except Al Vincent. Well, that is really fascinating. I, Jim, I, you know, I'm a pretty big baseball fan. I never yeah. knew that back in those days. No, I mean, unless somebody, maybe, you know, a lot of times when you weren't hitting, you might ask the guy hitting behind you, whether yeah. it was Brooks or Trent, hey, am I pulling my head off? Right. You know, and they go, well, no, it looked like you were looking at the pitch, but uh, in 1956, I was on the Fort Worth uh, 55. I was on the Fort Worth roster, and Al Vincent didn't like the way I swung the bat. Come right. around and hit my back once in yep, a while. Yep. So he took me to the batting cages and sat me on the bat. I had to sit on a bat and just swing. You know, he mm-hmm. he, he was working the uh, batting machine and swing and stop at the top. Swing and stop. So we did that all lunch hour. Now we go play a game. I guess I don't remember who we played that spring training. And the first time up, my first swing, I came all the way around, hit my back. Right. But I ended up getting two hits, so I didn't think any of it. So the next day, I go down to the clubhouse. I go into the Fort Worth part of the clubhouse, and my stuff is gone. I go, I asked the clubhouse guy, where's my uniform, my spike? Right. Oh, you got traded to Mobile. Al Vincent got rid of me. Didn't like the way I swung. He got rid of me. Sent me over to Double A Mobile. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! We're talking with Jim Gentile. Jim, uh, the season of 1961 was one for the record books. A lot of people. Uh, we got to put the con- proper context in there. It was the first year of the expansion. 
uh, where the Washington Senators and the – who else came into being? In Minnesota, wasn't Minnesota, it? Minnesota. L.A., right. L.A. L.A., no, the Angels. L.A., was it? Yep, it was L.A. Angels yeah. and the um, – and the Washington Senators came back in. Right. So there were two new expansion teams that did water down the pitching. There's no question about it. But what a season you had. Okay. Okay. I got a question for you. Yes. You know the six guys that hit over 40 home runs? In that season? Yeah. Well, it was, it was you. Maris, Mantle, you, Calavito, Cash, right. myself. Yep. And Killebrew. All right. Okay. Those are the six guys that hit 40 and above. All right. How all, how many guys hit 30? Gosh, I, uh, I'm guessing the way you're asking that, maybe two. How many should have been hitting 30 if, if it was so easy to hit home runs it back should then? should have been like 20, right? Okay. Well, your answer is zero. Zero, 30 to 40 home runs. Right. Okay. The, only, the next hitter was Bob Allison hit 28. Wow, that is that is interesting. So it was and six the ERA, games. a guy wrote me yep. in sixty was four point oh something, and in sixty one it was four point oh six. Interesting. Interesting. Yes, everybody thought because the and, and uh, I hate to say this, but I have a gentleman in in Baltimore that could tell you everything I did, how right. many times I picked my nose, pulled my ear, <laughs> whatever. He calls me every once in a while. Yep. He sent me a list, and I wish I would have kept it. Right. Of the guys I hit home runs off of. Uh huh. And only eight were guys who did not pitch in the big leagues the mean, year before. You mean the year before? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So but, I mean, you know, I know it's expansion, but I don't. I mean, L.A. had Duran. They had uh, Gerba. Kenny McBride. Guys, Kenny McBride. Guys, right. Yeah. So not everybody was uh, uh, no, was there, there were no bums around then. And plus, yeah. plus the population was – the population of baseball players was certainly big enough to withstand two teams oh, yeah. in that game. And another thing I want to ask you, with, with the lively ball yep. nowadays yep. and the maple bats, how come 80, 80 to 85% of the home runs hit in the front row? <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. But you sound, that, you you know, sound but, like you still watch quite a bit of baseball. How, how every much? once in a while, because uh, because I uh, every time you you watch the highlights on Major League Baseball, right. every time they take a swing, there's one out of the park. I watched a game a month ago when Boston hit eight of them in one game. Hey, Jim, before we let you go today, sure. i got to hear the story because you were such a special player to me, and there were lots of kids at my age and a little older that you were special to. How did it come about? I think you were second behind Amici's, but there was a you got involved in the fast food business early on, like probably about sixty two, sixty three, yeah. with a series. I think there were three locations of Diamond Gyms, weren't yeah. there? Uh, the Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's right. So who's yeah. who who approached you? Was it the Kentucky Fried Chicken people? No, there's a gentleman. Oh God, it's been so many years. Uh, let's say his name was Joe. He had a he had a drive-in restaurant, right? And he had it where there was a train. He'd put the people's order that were in the booth, okay, on a train and would bring your their food to their booth, okay. So he came to me one day with a bucket of chicken and said, "Hey, I got a bucket of chicken. I really like to push it." Uh, right now, it's just one of my items, and I had it, and I thought, great. Yeah, so good. we went into business and opened a restaurant out on Reistertown Road. Right. 
and we were the first ones to have telephones at your booth, and you call in the order, yep. and then when it's ready, it rang, and you went and got it. Well, and then we offer, uh, when we opened two uh, uh, carryouts. Well, the colonel came, and he told me, he said, I want my chicken by itself. Okay. Well, Amici and Marchetti came out to the my restaurant, Reistertown Road. Right. And it, unbeknownst to me, my partner had signed a five-year deal with uh, the colonel. Okay. And he already had used three years, so I only had two left. But he, and when the second year was up, the colonel said, I got to split it with Amici and Marchetti. So you were and, out. You were Well, they a, had so many places. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know they were where all the way up to Delaware, I think they said. Uh, yep. And uh, I had no room to open up anywhere, so I just sold out to them. That's wild. And that was about what sixty three, sixty. Yeah, yeah. Started at the end of the sixty three season because I got traded to Kansas City, and I figured, well, I'm yeah. Michael, so. That's that's fa- fascinating to go back in time with you. Uh, how important is it to you? to be remembered the way I remember you and others in Baltimore. I know you get to, to see that and feel that each year when you go down to fantasy camp. Uh, how special is it, Jim? Uh, it really is because when you're playing, you don't realize it. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have what they have nowadays where they're on TV all the time. You don't realize it. But, but even today, I get 10, 15, 20 letters a day. I tell my wife it's because I'm 84 and they're afraid I'm going to die too quick. And they go, get my other guy. But, and when I come back to Baltimore and do the suites, yep. you know, sign on, people treat me wonderful. I'm surprised that 40, 50 years later, they, yeah. they still remember you. Still, it's, they still do. They still it, do. It's amazing and I love it. And, uh, Stan, I can't thank you enough for, for all the things you said about me. Uh, that that wow. really, because I never heard what people thought of me. You know, well, well, well. As a kid, you were you were literally larger than life. You were handsome. You played with a great deal of passion uh, and pizzazz. You know, I mean, those stretches. Uh, but it, hearing you today talk about the practicality of the stretch—that's a lost. That's a little bit of a lost art that nobody thinks of. That is, if hey, if you reach out for the ball at first base, you gain a second there. You know? Oh yeah, you gain a step, step and a half. And especially if you got guys who can really run, you know. And some of the guys do it when he gets to be a close. But I watch guys, and uh, even the guy uh, Ruzo. I really think he's an outstanding player. Yeah. But a lot of times he just he's standing straight up and catches the ball by a half stride. I, I just don't see that. I mean, why make it close when you can just stretch out a little bit? You don't do the split. Just put your arm out, and that's a good step and a half. Got to ask you real quick before we let you go. Two players. One you. One you played with for a couple of years, you really got to know. How special a player was Brooks Robinson? Uh, I, I want to tell you something. If I had his personality, I'd be playing today. <laughs> Honest to God, he go for four, zero for eight, right? Get three hits, he, same way, good or bad. Where if I went zero for four, I sat in my locker and thought about it. And but he he just one of the nicest guys. Two of the guys on the team that were my dear friends were Brooks and Gus Triandis. Yep. And Brooks, thank God, Brooks is still with us. Doing, oh God! Doing I, well. Every time I come there, I call him. And uh, the last time I was there, we went out to lunch, and it was what a great time just to talk about things. You know, and I do want to ask you about this other player, but I've got to get to the. 
get okay. to it. If you had a young hitter today that was was had the temperament that you had, is there anything you could have been told or that you could impart on a young hitter who's going through a frustrating time to not beat themselves up, to not overthink, or is it just it's part of certain people's DNA? Well, if I could talk to someone like that, I'd say, look, you got 162 games. Yep. Good. You're going to have good days, bad days. After two or three years, you know what you're, aver- what you're going to hit. Right. You know how many home runs you should hit, good or bad. And uh, I don't know. I just uh, – I was too much of a perfectionist. And what, uh, for seven years, I was told nobody wanted me. Right. And and then I'd be told to get to the big leagues, you got to run better, throw better, hit better than the next guy. And every time you'd – I had 40, 40 home runs in double-A, and I'd ask Buzzy – how come you don't sell? Nobody wants you. Nobody said, wants you. Yeah. After hitting 40 home runs, nobody, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, so when I got here, I said to myself, I got to do the better better than anybody else, otherwise I won't be here. And uh, I guess that's why a lot of times I uh, sulked. Yep. But, but that was me. I mean, uh, I didn't hurt anybody. I've never had any trouble with nope. teammates. Nope, nope. You know, just that uh, the the, the the coaches and stuff start thinking you're more of a uh, worry about yourself than the team, they would say. And I said, well, when I'm on the field, I'm playing for the team. But when I'm finished, I'm thinking, what can I do to improve? But they they don't listen to you. So Last, last question for you. Sure. Uh, how much time did you spend as a teammate or, or, or with Sandy Koufax? Well, you know, I, I met Sandy back when he came out of college. And you do know he uh, when he first joined the, the Brooklyn, he couldn't keep the ball in the batting cage. That's what I heard. Yep. Oh my God! Every day, Joe Baker would take him down to the string area and throw, throw, throw. And the first couple of years or so, he was up there. They just used him as a mop up. Yep. And stuff like that. Then all of a sudden, man, he got that twelve to six curveball. Goodbye. Was he was Steve Dalkowski potentially as talented as Koufax arm wise? Well, he had the fastball. He threw harder than anybody I ever saw. Yeah, for a man his size, yeah. you know. Yeah, he was. He could really throw. But again, there's a guy that didn't get a shot in the big leagues until late, and by the time he got there, his arm was gone. Yeah, yeah. All right, Diamond. I'm going to get you back on sometime in a couple months. All right. Okay, and if I get back to Baltimore, I'll, I'll be sure to call you. All right. Thank you, Diamond. Really uh, appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Give my best All to your right. wife Bye-bye. and family. All right. There's Diamond Jim Gentile, one of my favorites, and uh, the one that got away from me.